Welcome to Feels Like Healing with me, Hal Lewis. A podcast where I talk to artists about how creativity has helped them process their grief. The reason I'm making this podcast is because when I was 21, I lost my dad to MS. That seismic moment in my life made me decide to become a singer-songwriter. I'd been making music before that point, but never considered it a life choice or as a career. However, after the death of my dad, creativity became a solace for me and a way I could express both my joy and my pain. It made me feel alive in the very moment when I was confronted with the ephemeral nature of life and the devastating reality of loss. So I wanted to talk to other people who've ended up in the creative world, but who've also experienced loss, to see whether they have similar stories of why they got into creativity, or whether they were already creative people and just happened to suffer grief. I hope during these conversations that I will come to better understand grief and why it makes us feel how we feel and do what we do. This is Feels Like Healing. So with me this week on Feels Like Healing is the mega-talented singer-songwriter Sarah Howells. Hi Sarah, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm very well. It's good to be talking to you today. Um, first of all, will you let the listeners know who you are and what you do? No. Um, oh, I would have prepared if I'd known how to say that. <laughs> Your music bio, I... please. My, just a brief biog. Yeah, I'm Sarah Howells. I am a singer-songwriter. I play in a solo project called Bride. And I used to be in a band called Paper Aeroplanes. I'm originally from southwest Wales and now I've been based in London for 14 years. We've known each other for what, about 10 years now, I think? Um, at least. I think it's least. more, actually. Yeah. I think I met you in the first year I lived in London, so it's nearly 14 years, Al Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me what your what your experience of grief is? So I lost my best friend, um, my childhood best friend, at the age of 21 to leukaemia. Um, her name is Nia George. We were friends since we were eight, I think. Um, I bet we basically met each other because we lived five doors down the road from each other um, as kids. Um, it might have been younger than that, to be honest, but we would play most days after school. We didn't go to the same primary school, actually. We went to rival primary schools. They no. always beat us at netball. <laughs> and um, we, yeah, we were friends since we were little kids. And then we became band members, actually, in our teenage years. Yeah, because that, that's kind of where I wanted to start off, because this podcast is about the links between grief and creativity. And one of the first questions I ask is, did did grief inspire you to become creative? But you, you and Nia were already being creative, weren't you? Because you said you were in a band together. Yeah, we were. We'd um, we'd basically just progressed from playing with dolls to playing hair salons to making music. Um, I think I was it, selfishly. I was making music. I'd had piano lessons and violin lessons, and I'd got bored of learning classical music and started making my own tunes up. And I think every time she came to my house, I just wanted to do that, so I roped her in. Um, Nia played recorder, and she was in the choir at her school too. And yeah, we started to. Tinker, tinkle around on the piano and write sort of cheesy love songs inspired by Eternal, 
um, anyone remembers them, probably oh, not. Classic <laughs> They're really band. old like us. Um, and yeah, we just, and that grew into lots of other girls from school joining. And then we took it, started to take it more seriously as we got to GCSE age and we were both playing instruments. Like I moved to guitar and I was playing the drums and she started to learn bass. And yeah, it became a more serious proposition when we got um, the, the town's best drummer to play for us, Tim Ramsey, <laughs> and um, and and then Alex Cooper, who's uh, like a whiz on the guitar from also from our music class, uh, to play on guitar with us. And um, yeah, we took it really seriously for from the, the the short time that we had together in the sixth form and and beyond that for a few years. Yes, yeah, you you didn't go to uni. You you sort of went full-time into the music um what was that like because uh, that must have been you must have all n- had pretty strong ideas that you wanted this as a as a career as a as a as a job yeah absolutely we did we we were re- completely loving it like i mean we had a lot of support from our families we were really the four of us were really lucky to have that support and also but even at school uh, when we were in the sixth form our head of sixth form let everyone leave school early on a Friday like I think at one o'clock and we got a coach to London to watch us play one of these uh what I know now is a sort of very sly London industry gig I'm doing a bird commas where they tell very new bands that they must bring everyone they know and uh, <laughs> get them to pay to play basically but we had an amazing time and like I think about 30 people from our school came to London on the bus and some of them hadn't been to London before so yeah we took it really seriously from that point on did you did you guys have a chat together and be like guys are we are we going to try and do this as a job was that something you or was it just like you just carried on going and you were just like thinking well it's going well was it ever like a plan or was it just let's see how this goes I can't remember having that conversation, but we really just decided. I guess at that age, you think you can postpone things for a bit yeah. and see what happens. So it was never like a. It wasn't necessarily. I'm definitely not going to go, but at the same time, the only thing I missed about it was the socialising. The only thing I missed about going to uni was that I probably would have got gone out and got drunk more, <laughs> more than being in a band. Can you believe we took I it was that seriously? Say. <laughs> Being a musician and doing rock and roll at eighteen sounds like that'd be quite a good social life as well. <laughs> it was. It was different, but um we took it pretty seriously. And I was working in the Haken Mini Market, let's not forget that. Nia was working in BYs. I don't know if anyone remembers that shop. Probably was ruined by Poundland. Oh, but um okay. yeah, we the were precursor, pretty precursor, was it? Precursor to Poundland. It was a precursor to Poundland. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah so you guys did that for a few years and were you like touring nationwide and what was yeah and was it was it sadly only Nia's illness that that sort of stopped everything in the tracks or were you already thinking of other things or was was that just like a huge bolt out of the blue it was a huge bolt out of the blue we were like in our prime if (laughs) We, we were loving it. We were a family. We were touring. Um, things were going well. There was a small record label in Leeds had picked us up and they had sort of dealings with I Am Clute and Elbow in the past um, mm. and had other bands they were working with. Um, and yeah, we were really serious about it and completely loved each other and loved playing together. So um, we were actually in the process of recording an EP in Leeds in a studio called Hall Place 
when Nia got what we thought was the flu and she couldn't come in to record the next day because she just couldn't get out of bed and she couldn't sing. So we were staying in some kind person's house that they'd given up to us like a precursor to Airbnb, basically. Um, And yeah, she didn't come in one day and I sort of did my vocals that day instead. And and then she was too ill and the only thing we had left was Nia's parts to do. And so we were like, oh, we're going to have to go home and do some, do it later. Um, come back and do that bit at the end sort of thing. And then she didn't get better, sadly. Was it a really quick illness? Or, no, or... it was 18 months. And she did at some, at some point, she was in remission at one point, which is even more cruel. But um, And I just read, I, I get, I was subscribed to this newspaper called, a magazine called Positive News. And one of the headlines the other day was a potential cure to leukemia. Yeah, that's amazing. The similar things about MS and it's it's really it's really nice when you see those things I saw that MS is linked to some weird little virus that apparently loads of us get like nine out of ten of us get Epsom bar or something and apparently yeah. 90% of people who have MS or maybe something higher have had this Epsom bar virus and so there's a strong correlation that they think if we vaccinate everybody against this Epsom Barr virus, it would it would massively reduce the amount of people who had MS. So wow. it, it is amazing when you see these um, breakthroughs in medicine, isn't it? And it it does give you um, it does make make it feel a bit better. But as we know, you you lost Nia, and that must have been horrible at such a young age, such a loss. How did creativity feel for you after that point? Was it because it was obviously so so linked to Nia for you? Was it was it mm. something you thought you would never come back to, or was it always there as a support? I have to say, and I'm not sure this is a good thing, but I was really obsessed with what I was doing, too much so really, and yeah, and so it was a double blow, obviously, to lose a, a friend. Um, not an equal blow, but it was horrendous to lose a friend. And then it was like this earth shattering, career shattering thing as well. Like, oh, we thought we knew what we were doing with our lives. Mm. And it's so horrible. But I guess I had this, just this propelling feeling to carry on doing it. And so I barely even stopped to take a breath. And I actually, and I've said this to other people going through, you know, potentially life-threatening illness or with family and things that there's definitely a need to take a break. And, mm. and assess life for what it is around that time and not be carried away by your plans or what you thought you were going to do. Like, it's good to continue. You shouldn't just stop. Life shouldn't stop. But, you know, the precious moments are not achieving things. And so I kind of wish it's something... Because we carried on playing in our band while Nia was ill. We kind of... It was a mixture of, like, what the label wanted, what we wanted, what we thought Nia would want, was to not just be like, oh, oh Nia's got leukemia, right? We're going to have to just give that up and work in a shop for a bit while she gets better Mm. we thought no we'll keep going but you know when you get when you're like 20 years older and you realize how short a period of time that is to just have a break and just to spend time with someone who's unwell um but we got someone to stand in and we actually got rich to stand in on base who became my um partner in crime in paper airplanes and so for me everything just continued and I'm not sure that was healthy. <laughs> no, I and I totally relate because when when my dad died, I I just felt like exactly the same. I just I was like, right, well, I'm just going to go to London and I'm just going to do
do this music thing and crack on and I don't think I stopped for a minute to take a breather and understand what was happening around me yeah. but I think when you're that age you just feel like right I've just got to I've heard so many people say that they just busy themselves to to the extreme when when this sort of mm. thing happens and I think it's natural but did you did you feel like the creativity was was helping the grief after near past or was it or did you not even because I, I feel like I didn't even really register my grief at the very beginning did you feel like you registered it at all in what you were doing and how you were behaving and stuff yeah I mean if you listen to the songs they were all about that for a while so I processed a lot did you realize you were writing about it or was it subconscious um I think it was pretty conscious it wasn't it wasn't like I made myself do it it came out Sub- it came out subconsciously like it came out of my subconscious but I knew I was I knew this what the songs were about because um, it was quite clear and I had a lot of guilt around how much time I'd given Nia when she was unwell as, as well mm-hmm. so I wrote about that a little bit as well um, yeah trying to make sense of it trying to write something life affirming as well I guess when I was forcing it more there was that kind of need to say what was important and and how lucky I felt to mm-hmm. be alive um I mean, would you have written it explicitly? Like, would listeners have known that this was what you were writing about? Because I've often realised that what I thought people knew I was writing about was maybe masked in metaphors, and hmm. and that people didn't realise. Um, so, did you did you write in metaphor? Was it hidden away, sort of as a protection, or a little bit? I think I wasn't. Um... See, sometimes I, I do think people gen, generally think that any mention of love or relationships or when you're speaking to someone in a song, it t- they tend to assume it's a romantic partner. Yeah. It's just a thing yeah. we have. And I think even sometimes I do like to blur that line so that people can have more to relate to as well. I think it's, and I like it if someone applies it to their life in whichever way they want. So, so that's not a bad thing, but um, I think some of it was shrouded in metaphor and some of it was pretty explicit, to be honest, even if I thought I was being poetic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've never been, I've always been quite direct in my lyrics, I think maybe less so nowadays actually but um yeah it was hard so that was cool it there was a really obvious shift as well I was going to say in style like in my band with Nia and Tim and Alex we were called Jilt and we our music was like Ash meets Avril Lavigne meets Blink-182 meets Pearl Jam and Foo Fighters and and Alanis Morissette like it was a bit angry but it was mainly just upbeat and poppy and really you know distortion the whole way through and yeah you know there was it was just joyful in that kind of like teenage way and then as soon as that tragedy hit even when she you know when Nia got ill especially when she got ill to be honest because it's much more difficult when someone's going through that um yeah I mean my taste just changed I think I grew up a little bit as well so it's 
obvious that your taste is going to change as you get older. And I was influenced a lot by Rich, who was playing in the band at the time. But um, yeah, I just started to just become really interested in acoustic music and and um, sad music, really. You know, mel- the melancholy side of things. And I wanted to write like that as well. So. Too many words still left to say The hand of fate Still you away The never-ending story play The days, the days we made And it's you Who lingers on and it's you Who spurs me on and it's you The days, the days we made Is, is the other songs that you write different to the songs that you were writing in Jilt before Nia passed away has the has the melancholy Mm. seeped in to the songwriting a bit more but actually when I think back to it my songs always had this um I don't know I guess I've always been quite contemplative and introverted in the way I write like I remember writing a poem and it was actually a song that became called Surrender and, uh, in that band and it was sort of like our bodies are just suitcases to carry around our souls was one of the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I remember my English teacher though. saying, oh, she's quite poetic. And I'm me thinking, oh yeah, I'm a poet. <laughs> and I don't even know it. Um, but yeah, like I, I would write quite... Um, I was always contemplating the meaning of existence. I guess everyone is in some way, but... So it was the the my stuff was always slightly more melancholy and darker, but it definitely became more so. Yeah, when that when the theme and what I was feeling was just loss and change and. Because did you feel like? Because I felt grief. like in my twenties, because my dad died when I was twenty one. So I felt like in my entire twenties, I I had a different outlook on life to my friends. Like there was this um, these pair of glasses I was wearing, so that life just had a different tint to it did you feel like that like after Nia passing away that the the you know just the way you approach life and like you said about sort of appreciating life was so so different to what most people feel like in their 20s of of just not thinking about tomorrow and living for today because I feel like when you lose someone it just makes you aware of it just makes you aware of not that you think about death I mean you might think about death I don't know but it just makes you think I don't know it just I suppose it made me more serious in a in a sad way <laughs> like I just I couldn't I couldn't mm. I couldn't let go as much as I felt like maybe I would have if I hadn't lost that do you know what I mean yeah yeah I definitely wasn't good at letting go and I wasn't uh doing anything reckless uh, yeah, it made me more focused on what I was doing, I suppose, in the music. Um, again, it is hard to say, though. I've never been reckless, even when I was a kid. <laughs> I was way too, way too cautious. Um, but yeah, it definitely takes on this kind of just deeper sense of of what it is to be living. And, and not necessarily, like, I'd love to say that it made me really grateful and positive all the time. I definitely didn't do that entirely. You know, it should be more like you appreciate life more, but I'm not sure it, that it was always. 
Um, do you, apart from writing songs, did you did you ever talk to people? I mean, because you obviously went through this with your bandmates. Did you guys? Hmm, did you not talk, really. Did you process it? No, you didn't really talk we, about it. I wish we had, but it was like a massive car crash. To be honest, sorry, that's not a good um, analogy, but it was. I mean, if you want to get really personal, I ended up falling for Rich, who was Nia's replacement on bass, and we became a couple, and that was a really um, contentious, and it was not a good thing within our band, unfortunately. So actually, I never got to process it really that well with the boys as much. I have done in more recent years, and we're really close now, even though I don't live near them or see them very often. Like, we're super close. We've just gone back to being how we were before I think actually like as much as you can when you've lost someone but we're like we have that closeness but to be honest I never had any counselling for it I went off and did this whole other life with someone who didn't really get it because they went in that band properly and they never knew her and yeah it was weird I mean no one really talked about grief counselling then I bought how how about you did you get did anyone offer you grief counselling or counselling it was it wasn't a thing was it no it really wasn't and um i'm only now sort of coming to terms with the idea that i should have <laughs> i should have maybe talked to someone about it um i yeah i'm looking into now going into some sort of therapy counseling to just to talk things through and and i realize as well i think when something happens to you when you're quite young i think you your body perhaps switches it off or shuts it down in order mm. for you to progress and move forward i think that's certainly something that it seems like happens to people because um one of the trigger points for me to want to do this podcast and talk to people is last year i um sold my dad's house because i'd kept it for 15 years because i just couldn't bring myself to go in there and sort all these mm. things out so uh yeah i had to go up there during lockdown and sort through all his things and it was it was really it was really cathartic in a way but then it was really painful in another way and made me realize that I had all this grief that I'd been bottling up and not mm. talking to anybody about so I was such a powerful metaphor that isn't it for having hung on to something for 15 years and not looked at it and not let it go in a way not that you can ever let go of a parent passing or anyone passing away but you know you've rather than like explore that and like let some of it go because it's not always all necessary like you yeah. yeah it's really interesting it's yeah. really like amazing that you've come to that stage now well i still feel like i've got a long way to go on this journey because i realize um listening to other people talk about it why these things made them feel in the ways that they did and i've always been slightly confused perhaps about how and why i was reacting to things and so my hope in this is to understand a bit more about why yourself yeah but also to see that a lot of other people have have gone down the same avenues as me to to find some sort of solace. So, um, mm. but so you said that your bandmates and you have sort of reconnected. So does that mean you're all, you're all in a place now where you feel more comfortable about talking about Nia and your grief together? 
Yeah. I think over the years that we've not been able to, that we weren't seeing each other much. I mean, everyone shares stuff online. I know it's obviously they do and it's a bit of a cliche, but, you know, Facebook every year, people are really open and and talking about her and posting photos from our childhood um, together. And, and, you know, friends from school, not just our band. We do, we bring up our band every year as well. And I don't even feel guilty about that in the sense of like, it's not self-indulgent. It's just such an important memory. And I know that she would she would want that. And her parents okay. were so into the music. So they follow me really closely now. And um, they love music. They follow loads of artists, actually. Um, so, you know, that's a real way of honouring her. Um, but do we speak about it? Yeah, I guess we do. Um, do you talk to other people about your grief? Like, would you would you bring it up, like, as a... So I, I always buried it and I, I never wanted to talk to anybody about it. But are you are you in a place where, or were you in a place where you could talk to other people apart from your bandmates? I think so, yeah. Um, I have a, we have a close group of friends from school as well, like five, there's five of us. I always get mixed up with the number because it was six, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and we're like really close still. We don't also don't see each other very much, but we will mention her. Um, we definitely, yeah, we talk about Nia. I don't know if I ever really talked about the grief. Like that time was just so, like I said, it was so busy. But I've um, I've been able to mention it because you write a biography as an artist and I've made it part of my biography over the years because it, you know, because it was part of who I was as a musician. It was almost like felt wrong to not mention her as part of my journey. And I, I actually mention it less now and that's, just because, you know, as time goes by, there's so much more to say and I want to focus on the positives. But um, but yeah, I used to talk about it in interviews and things like that. So I guess I had that. I was really lucky in that sense that I could talk about it quite openly with complete strangers in a way because cause it did inform my music and because she was a part of my musical journey so much that like it felt relevant. So I was given that opportunity to talk about it, which I feel really grateful for. Do you think, because I, I think that one of the reasons why I perform is I'm, I'm looking for that connection and that, that sort of feeling of, of, yeah, of filling a hole, filling a gap that is in me. Like, do you think that's a reason why you're still a musician here here now today, you know, all these years after after that point in that band. Because it could have been easy to say, no, no, you know, this this obviously isn't meant to be. Um, there must have been something inside you that wanted to to keep on communicating and, and telling your story to people. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just been a bit of, it's it's just a sort of, not a compulsion but like just a given to me that I would keep doing it um and it felt like I had more to say I guess once yeah once I'd lost someone like Nia do you think your grief sorry do you think your grief still is still there in in the songs you write or less so now so I would say I think about her musically quite a lot hmm because she was the opposite to me. I was classically trained much more heavily. And I remember she would write songs and put these weird chords in that weren't part of the the key. 
<laughs> and I'd be like, uh, I don't know if you can put that chord after that one. And then it, she would just be like, well, I'm, I'm just doing it anyway. And it would I'd be like, that sounds cool and weird and wrong in a good way. And yeah. I think about that all the time, especially whenever I've done anything sort of mentor mentoring or like teaching with music that the freedom and the intuitive nature of music that comes to people that haven't had like rules beaten into them if you know what mm, I mean it wasn't yeah. like I was being you know having my fingers wrapped as I was playing the piano and doing my scales or anything but you just unlearn instinct when you're taught rules so this is not even we're not even talking about grief now sorry but <laughs> yeah that's that's like a way in which Nira inspires me nowadays um, I also I was going to say about talking about grief with people just to go back because this is a really important point is that her parents are really open about talking about her they they want to talk about her and I don't see them often enough anymore, but she will be mentioned whenever I'm there. Oh, and, you good. know, sometimes a tear will come <laughs> and then we'll have a cup of tea and we'll move on, you know what I mean? But, um, no, it's lovely. Yeah, they're really, they said they had a charity shop for a while afterwards, for years afterwards. They've only just sort of slightly retired from that now. And um, they, they approached grief in like, an amazing way. And so to be able to talk to them about it and just feel like she's still, you know, spoken about is really important. So that was lovely. So do you have anything else I like to ask my guests apart from music that helps you with with processing pain and, and grief and loss? What would you like to do other apart from being bride? Um, well, I'm really interested in, I hate this word, but I'm going to say spirituality, but I, I dislike it because <laughs> I kind of mean people associate it with God and, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, it, it's not, that's not what I associate it with really. It's more about um, life. I think we're all looking for a reason because it's hard. Life is hard and it's dark and bright and wonderful. And I basically, I'm really interested in psychology and spirituality and um, I'm very interested in meditation and I don't do it as much as I would like to do it or as much as I think I do it but those things help me um, I'm just really yeah in philosophy all that I guess I think spirituality is more a philosophy than a religion so I, I really like to think about life and also to shake up social norms and social constructs I think that we're all taught how we should be and how things should be and that's just really unhelpful so yeah I think about that a lot and I work as a peer coach um, in mental health for NHS and I find loads of inspiration and I learn a lot about myself through doing that and through trying to help other people as well so those things help a lot with grief yeah I mean, that, that all sounds like amazing things that you're doing and I think part of music as well is is putting something out in the world that you hope will resonate with somebody else and and help them and i think that anything we can do in that respect is is great um so i might close with asking you moving forward now what is your relationship like with creativity right now and does it still hold the same sway with you that it did in jilt is it do you still get the same buzz and thrill out of creativity or does it does it serve a different purpose for you now mm, good question actually in relation to 
what I was talking about before and kind of looking at <laughs> looking for more meaning in life I actually find the reason I write now and the reason the re- the things that inspire me to write now are like you say wanting to connect with people and also put a message out just express how what I think about bigger picture stuff and and I really want to put positive messages out and um convey thoughts and beliefs and about life yeah so just life I want it to be life affirming the action in itself and the message that the song conveys as well right, I want that to be the title of your next album okay Sarah what what life affirming life affirming oh wow that would be uh, on the nose no but um all jokes aside thank you for talking to me today Sarah I, I know it's not easy to talk about grief and I'm still very much at the beginning of of being able to open up about it so mm. I appreciate you coming and opening up to me about Nia so thank you still the brand new album by Bride is out now visit bridemusic.com for more information that's B-R-Y-D links will be in the episode description to all the songs I used and please remember to subscribe and rate this podcast as that helps to spread the word about feels like healing thanks for listening